Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast. You join us today for a special Al Fresco episode of the podcast recorded at Hampton Court Palace last weekend at the annual Concourse of Elegance Car Show and made in partnership with our good friends at Alanga and Zerner. It features Simon Cundy of Savile Row Taylor's Henry Poole, Evan Zima of the Bruce McCaw Car Collection and Wilhelm Schmidt, the CEO of Alanga and Zerner. But before we start this episode, I'd love to tell you very briefly about The Clubhouse, a new kind of private members club brought to you by Gentleman's Journal. Clubhouse members get four issues of Gentleman's Journal magazine delivered straight to their door across the year, full of all those invaluable insights from the world of entrepreneurship, style and culture that you'd hope for. As well as, of course, some exclusive deals with a range of partner brands, restaurants and hotels, not to mention invitations to some very exciting events across the year. In fact, if you're a podcast listener, which you obviously are, you now get 20% off your annual Clubhouse membership, meaning you get the full Gentleman's Journal experience in full colour for just £56 a year, which sounds a bit like a bargain to me. To get that, just enter the code POD20, that's P-O-D-2-0, at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. That's POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. This episode is all about collecting masterpieces. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Thanks very much for joining us at the concourse stage at Hampton Court for the Concourse of Elegance. Uh, I'm sad that the, the weather's a bit grey, but that's quite typical and true to the British surroundings. So uh, I'm Joe Bullmore. I'm the editor of Gentleman's Journal magazine. We're very happy to be the media partners here with Alanga and Zerner and uh, the concourse. Um, and I'm sorry it started a little bit late. I'd like to say... It was uh, due to a rain delay, but actually we were just enjoying some steak in the uh, owner's enclosure. Something I'll never apologize for. Um, but I want to introduce three gentlemen here who are going to be talking today on the subject of collecting masterpieces. We've got three men who know more about them than the most. We've got Wilhelm Schmidt, of course, the CEO of Alang and Zerner, Simon Cundy from the much adored Savile Row Taylor, Henry Poole, and Evan Zima, who is collections manager uh, for Bruce McCaw, the car collector. Uh, gents, thanks very much for joining us here. I should also say this is the first ever Alfresco Gentleman's Journal podcast we're recording now. Um, so you're, you're part of history, really. Uh, I'm going to sit down on these nice boy band stools. But um, you're all from three disparate worlds. We've got tailoring, we've got watchmaking, we've got car collecting. Is there a shared strand of kind of DNA that runs through all of them, Simon, that kind of unites those three disciplines? Well, I think that it comes down to... Um, the collection takes place on how you're brought up or how you read up on or how you love something. And I think that uh, definitely when it comes down to cars, the shape, um, the history of a brands, the, 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 the culture behind the cars is one thing. I think with the watches, it's much the same. It's the detail, the history of the brands. And you get very much involved in life that you aspire to have something of those. Um, and then with the tailoring side, it's a very much a shape and a drape that goes with the clothing, that combines the three together. So it's very often you'll have customers and clients that I have that enjoy watches uh, as much as they enjoy cars, uh, and many here are today. So, so it's a beautiful moment to have to capture that moment together. And motoring and tailoring have quite a nicely, happily intertwined history, don't they? Especially even at Henry Poole. Well, yes, we go, we go back to 1806. Oh yes, well, <laughs> exactly. So, so um, my family have been involved with a brand called Fraser Nash, which is a great heritage brand. Uh, about 1924, 
Uh, it was taken over by A.J. Aldington that uh, raced many of the great uh, races such as uh, cl hill climbing back in the day. Uh, Bolzano, these sort of places, and the Tyrol. Um, and then from there onwards, it went into the great uh, piece together with the German side, with BMW. So yeah. there's actually a brand with actually Fresenas BMW. So we took we worked together with this uh, brand. And alas, you can tweak your suit to have perhaps a, a Fresenas lining inside, which is very much so. And and knowing, obviously, Wilhelm, that he has also enjoys Fraser Nash, so we have a very much close link on that side, too. Of course. And we're at the uh, the British leg of this incredible car show that's kind of a moving circus around the world, um, and Evan tracks it all around the world. But what is it that, that motivates someone to get into car collecting and, and spend their entire life on this kind of wild voyage of collecting, essentially, something you don't really need in this day and age? Well, I think... Uh Part of it, like like Simon was saying, is just what you were brought up to to be passionate about, and part of it, I think, is the appreciation for um, kind of the the noise and the experience and the look of of these classic cars. And uh, it's something that I don't think is someone necessarily sets out to acquire, but just kind of finds that they are drawn into it. Why exactly? I'm not sure. But and you're here, of course, with the Bruce McCall's collection. He's got two cars here. What's he? brought all the way over from America for us. Sure, well, in, in celebration of Bentley's uh, 100th anniversary, we have the 1930 Bentley Speed 6 Gurney Nutting Sportsman's Coupe, known as the Blue Train, which is the green one across the fountain there. And then we have another uh, Bentley 1929 Speed 6, now an eight liter, known as Old Number One, which is the two-time 24-hour of Le Mans winner. Wow. And they're going to come past in the parade and interrupt us in about 10 minutes' time. That's the plan, yeah. Which is the perfect way to end the podcast, I think, drowned out by a very loud engine or two. Um, Wilhelm, thanks very much for, for coming. Um, you seem to be in the marquee the busiest man in all of Hampton Court, uh, rushing from table to table. But uh, obviously you're a watchman, but your history is in cars as well. What is it about watches uh, which essentially I've got a better watch than most on my iPhone right now, but why is it that people collect watches and spend their lives into all of these utilitarian things? Look, there, there's a, we're living in a world full of consumables. You know, everything you buy is obsolete in two weeks or six months or a year. Um, and I believe, and that's probably the, the common ground of all these three categories, there are things that you don't change all the time. A good pair of shoes, a good suit, a nice old car because you keep it. You know, it's not there to be consumed, it's there to be appreciated. And um, I always say that our trade outlived its usefulness long ago because today you see the time everywhere. Even if you don't have a telephone or a cell phone, there's, there's hardly, it's, hard, it's difficult not to see the time unless you're on a remote island where you don't need a watch. Um, but on the other end, it's very true. You know, what you don't need, but what you want is usually that what you really desire the most. Um, and I think that goes for cars, that goes for watches. You know, my wife is not here, she's not listening, that's good. Because, you know, as I worked in the car industry, uh, I spent all my, my, my free money on watches. And now in the watch industry, I spend all my free money on cars. So my spending behavior has not changed really. <laughs> and I think that's, that's more the common ground. You know, we, we live in a world where everything becomes obsolete very, very quickly. And there is a strong appetite, a hunger, a desire to, 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 to have things that will survive the odds of times that you can pass on, that you're happy today and happy tomorrow and happy in 10 years. And what is it in a watch that makes it collectible? What, what really excites collectors? 
in a timepiece? Look, it's, I think if you use resources, the likelihood that what you have is something you can appreciate is very high. So if there's a lot of craftsmanship in it, um, if there are not millions of it, um, if a, a watch is distinctive and recognizable and unique and the first and all these things, then you know it becomes a collectible. Um, it might take a while, but eventually the likelihood that something like that will become a collectible is high. Let me, you know, it's sometimes easier to describe the opposite. You know, if you had a Casio from the 70s, the likelihood that you can't get any batteries anymore is very high. So how can that be a collectible, which probably goes back to what what uh, what uh, you in the collector circle of cars see? I mean, a BMW i8 in 20 years time on, do you think you can serve the car? Do you think you can drive it like you know the blue train and things like? I'm not sure. Maybe, but at least that I think is the difference between all these old cars and the new ones. Of course. And this idea of luxury assets as kind of investment class in their own right is quite a new phenomenon. It's only come about really in the last couple of decades. Why do you think people, Simon, are happy to put their money into art and wine, apart from the obvious reasons, rather than with an investment bank, so to say? Well, I think that, you know, that everyone has a passion about something and there's a, it tells a lot about the person, what, what they like about that brand. So whether it's a watch you loved to go to, when you see it, you think that's a person that likes, you know, Lang Son. A car that could be a Maserati, could be a, you know, Ferrari. There's a there's a person behind that brand, but uh, I think like like uh, Wilhelm was saying is that that people want to have it, to aspire to it, and they know once they've got it, that's it. They they don't need to dis dispose of it in five years time because, if anything, they're going to buy another one because it's another another limited another. It's a virus. Thing. Yeah, it's a virus, and and that's it. So, you know, there's a, whether you collect art is one thing. I mean, I'm I love art too. But there's nothing better than, than to drive art. And that's, that's what we do here today. You can see these beautiful cars, you get a chance to hear them, smell them, and actually drive them. Uh, to experience that, it, it does a lot more for me than seeing a Picasso on a wall that I can sit and have a glass of wine over. Um, that's what I will say. And, and for years on years, that you can enjoy it and, and share it with people. And the discussions we have, whether you are any brand out here you love to talk about, you're, you're passionate about it. So you meet people here today, and you can talk about why you love that brand, what you enjoy about that brand, and what experiences you've had about that brand from generation to generation. And Evan, what are the kind of, to use Simon's phrase, drivable pieces of art that you've seen today at the concourse that you particularly like to drive off in? Well, I mean, take a, take a look around pretty much everything. Um, there's a really great mix of things here from the more contemporary end, and McLaren F1 is obviously a bucket list car that I'd like to get behind to uh, any of the old vintage Bentleys that are here. What I like about all these different cars is that each one, uh, it's, it's like meeting a different person. They're all so unique to drive and have their own, uh, you know, things that make them fun and, and things that can be kind of a challenge, but their own personalities. And that's really, I think, the enjoyable part of it. Um, I don't think it'd be possible to pick just one. That's a very diplomatic answer. Well done. Um, it, it, the world's changing at a kind of terrifying pace all the time, especially when it comes to petrol engines and environmental concerns. Do you think that the next generation, people of my age and my children's age, will care about cars and watches in the face of Uber and uh, Apple and all their competitors? 
What do you think, Wilhelm? How do we get them excited about it? Uh, you know, for the last sort of 18 months, and there are enough people around you that can witness uh, what I'm saying, that's, that's, that's the one thing that really drives me. Um, I'm not worried about this year and next year and the next five years. So I could be a very relaxed man because what we do will probably be appealing for enough customers because we don't produce many watches. But um, I have a 19 and a 21-year-old uh, son and a daughter and um, I look into their circle of friends, and if we don't make an effort to become relevant to that age group, um, none of these events, none of your cars, none of my watches, none of your suits will be relevant in a couple of years' time. Um, I think it's all about bringing it to them, showing it, explaining it. Whether they like it or not, it's still their decision. But I believe a huge amount of young people don't even know what we stand for. They don't have any idea about all these classic cars. And it's, it's up to us to make sure that, not like me and you, you know, lad, you, 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 I was once blonde as well. <laughs> That's a long time ago. But it's time for, for, for a new generation to, to stop him. That's for me, you know, from an industry point of view and that covers nicely what what we see here and what i do or we do as as a company if we don't make an effort to bring that to the young to the next generation we will not be relevant in 15 or 20 years and what you see here is dying out and that's a particularly poignant on savile row isn't it where everything's changing very much so i mean you know the wardrobe is changing we've had to be more diverse we've had to make more certain cities with more sports jackets still so still some cities like you know new london tokyo singapore uh, new york are still suits but there is a diversity now in, in the wardrobe so you know the guys that would have taken their overcoat to the airport will probably take some sort of lightweight you know uh, how can i say a uh, duck down jacket with them so we've you know we've had a collaborations with various brands for the next generation so you know three years ago we collaborated with adidas uh last year we collaborated with canada goose so this is another dimena that brings us into the next generation that will still hopefully recognize henry paul as the sort of grandee of the savile row that when they want their dinner suit when they want their suit that goes for the agm they'll come to that house and it is purposely made for you and that's what we do and that's our purpose, that's what we've got to flaunt it, that's what we've got to talk about it, and social media is a big part of it now, so it's very much on the website, it's very much on the newsletter, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and we have to get it out there, but it has to have a purpose, yeah. it has to have function, and it has to have a reason, and that's what we have to talk about going further, Absolutely. future. Evan, the, the classic car market is like any market like that, is defined by taste, and there are kind of upswings and downswings and taste, and certain brands coming in out of fashion. If I had a spare £100,000, which I sadly don't as a journalist, wh where would you advise me to put my money as far as cars go? You look terrified when I ask you that. Well, that is really the million-dollar question or, or $10 million question, um, depending on how lucky you get. But I think uh, it's undeniable that the market is changing. And when you look at buying trends, um, cars that were 10, 15 years ago considered not collectible or, or just kind of ordinary are starting to become appreciated, whether it's pre-merger AMG Mercedes or uh, obviously pretty much every Porsche in the world is appreciated, well, a 911 at least, in the last few years. Um, but there's still a few things that have not gone totally sky high yet that I think uh, are going to, in the future, more of those 80s, 90s, low production special cars, whether they were 
collaborations with other companies or or specialized or just uh, the limited production ones with the larger motors, whatever it may be that you're interested in. I think there are options out there and it's part of it's always going to have to be about finding something that you like. You can't just buy a car as an investment because you think it'll go up in value because there's really no way of knowing. And if it doesn't, you at least want to like the car that you're stuck with. Um, but to answer your question, where would I park my money? I think uh, there's a wide range of, of cars. It would probably be something a little newer than most of what we consider traditionally collectible because that's somewhat affordable compared to uh, a lot of the old classic European sports and racing cars. Um, maybe something like a, a Porsche 944 Turbo or a BMW E30 M3 or, or something like that. Amazing. Well, with my next pay rise, Harry Jarman, don't worry, I'll, uh, I'll buy one of those. So before I open up for a couple of questions, if anyone's burning to ask something, which I'm sure you are, um, we're here at Hampton Court, of course, which is the home of Henry VIII, who liked collecting things, particularly wives and their heads. Um, so I wonder if each of you could tell me which car here, this is a bit of fun, you'd think he'd, uh, he'd drive off in if he was going to leave today. Evan, what's Henry VIII's uh, getaway car? Well, I saw a particularly shiny Rolls-Royce over there with four shotguns mounted on the side of it. So that, I mean, given his other collecting habits, seems somewhat appropriate. Excellent. Simon, over to you. That's a big question. There's such gorgeous cars here. I've got yet to go through all of them, but uh, I've had my eye on quite something simple, which is the AC over there, which is a quite you know, classic, but a very simple, lovely car to drive. Um, but there's other things out there too, so I will uh, keep you informed. But I look forward to hear the, the results, obviously. Well, then, if I look at that palace, <laughs> what's the biggest car here? <laughs> Probably that silver thing up there. Is that the car you mean? Yeah. Yes. I think that's a good, you know, for a royal, that's the car he yeah. would choose, probably. So, yeah, that little, well, little, that big car up there, the Rolls Royce. Yeah, I think that's what you would probably take. You can collect a lot of heads in the back. And a wife in the front, so why not? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we've got a winner in that, in that game, at least. I don't know if there's anyone out there who's particularly got any burning questions for these three gentlemen. Very knowledgeable on all their subjects. Justin Hast, itching to say something? No. It's gone away. Come, come. Don't be shy. Actually, well, well, I've got a question for you as well. You, this is celebrating 20 years of the chronograph for Alain and Zerner. Yes. Which is a car, which is a watch linked with cars. Yes. Very historically. To be honest, we have so many anniversaries to celebrate this year that we focused on just one, uh, which is the, the, the 25, um, 25th anniversary of the Lange One. Because um, I would probably not sit here talking about Lange und Söhne without that watch. Um, so, from all the watches, and they're all nice and they're all beautiful and they're all important, but I think without the Lange One, the company would probably not be what it is today. Glashütte wouldn't be a prospering little village in uh, the mountains, and there may be even no really German fine watchmaking. So I think it was good choice to focus on one watch, which is the Langer one. Wonderful. Before we do the parade, which I think is about to start in about two minutes' time, am I right? Um, I'll just say thank you very much for these chats for joining us. I'm sorry we couldn't have longer, and I'm sorry it wasn't sunny, but um, it's been fascinating, it's been interesting, and we can talk all afternoon, I'm sure, but that's brilliant. Thanks very much. Thank Small you. Round Thank, of you. Thank, Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, if you enjoyed this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast, you may well like the Gentleman's Journal magazine, the world's finest quarterly dispatch from the front line of luxury, entrepreneurship and style. In fact, as you may have heard earlier, podcast listeners now get 20% off our annual subscription. Just enter the code POD20, that's P-O-D-2-0, at www.thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. That's POD20 at thegentlemansjournal.com slash club. And if you really like this episode, why not rate us five stars on the iTunes store or, of course, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. I think that would be a lovely idea. Anyway, I'll leave you alone now. Bye-bye.